Welcome on this Labor Day weekend. So we're glad to have you here today. We'll get started in about two minutes. Thank you. All right, let's read our verse together. It's Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Yeah, Tish. Um, I just want to, I, I heard a sermon from a pastor on the West Coast, and I just, and I remember this happening in the news, and I just wanted to give everybody just a, a, a heartfelt prayer thought to keep in mind that the believers in Afghanistan, they were being killed, they were singing praises to God. So I pray that the hearts that of the people that shot and killed them, I mean, as they were going to heaven, these Taliban people are still here, and that hopefully any of them, that any inclination of their heart, that they've made a bad choice to be in Taliban, they would be saved. Amen. Pray for the salvation of of those in Afghanistan who are opposed to Christianity, and literally all over the world, there was uh, a group of um, uh, new believers and uh, husbands and wives that were killed by Buddhists uh, here recently, and um, it's. We just need to pray for our, uh, the persecuted church and believers um, around the world. And, and uh, we just pray for America and our continued uh, gospel presentations around the world that people can go and be faithful. Sometimes uh, in this series, what we're talking about, is some, uh, sometimes we like to look to God ultimately as the role model for our life in Jesus. Amen? Okay, if you, you know, we want to look to, to God and we look to Christ, but it is essential uh, that we all understand the influence we as individuals have in someone else's life. Whether it's our spouse, whether it's our children, whether it's our neighbor, people, uh, our co-workers, people watch your life all the time. And so uh, what I'm encouraging us through this series to do is be a role model of Christ wherever we are, whatever we do. And that's not always easy, but we have to be intentional about that. And today, uh, the, the, the topic is, is being a role model of love, okay? And that's, you know, we can look at the word love, and obviously we think about, you know, well, of course Jesus loved us. We sing that with our kids. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. We know what we know by faith in God and his word. But then we, we look at this and we go, now these three remain. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. How many of you had that read at your wedding? Some of you, some of you are praying, like, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> did we? <laughs> But the greatest of these is love. And I've always been fascinated by that passage. These three remain. Faith. In my thinking, faith is the paramount. My belief in God. Faith in God is paramount. Hope. Boy, do we need hope today? Absolutely. But he says... But the greatest of these is love. And that's almost the antithesis of a lot of times what Christians think of that. 
We don't like that the idea. Of, we, we like justice and rules at times. And we like right and wrong. And we like communicating those things. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because it, God clearly declared it in his word. That to know God is to know love. Because God first loved us. We can love. So the focus of this lesson. That there are four words primarily that are used in relationship to the word love. Three of them are found in scripture. Uh, Greek words. But this one is the word agape. Okay, Agape love is of and from God. This is not a natural form of love. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit, the first one is? Okay, the fruit of the Spirit is? Love. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not natural to any of us. This is of God, from God. It's an unconditional type of love. 1 John 4, 7. Someone read that one. So in other words, love is the basis of the Christian life in relationship to knowing God. If you are a person who does not love, you do not know God. Is that harsh? Maybe viewed as such, but it's the truth. When one shows agape love, it's not from one's emotions or feelings, though. Okay, so in other words, when you're showing agape love, it's not from your emotions or feelings. When you are sharing unconditional love for somebody, it's not because, well, you know, she did this for me, so I'm going to do this for her. It's not some type of reciprocal kind of relationship, emotion, feeling kind of thing. Okay, ultimately, it's a choice that we make. It is often sacrificial without requiring anything in return. Okay, think about that now. It's doing something good for someone, not expecting anything in return. That's the kind of love God wants us to show to others because that's what he does for us. He loves unconditionally. He loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, though he knows that millions upon millions, if not billions of people will reject him. But he loved them anyways and died for them. He loved them, even though he was not going to get anything in return. Now, that's the love that God wants us to have for each other. Now, think about that in your marriage. Think about that as a parent or as a child. Think about that as a brother or sister in Christ. How often do we do something because we were being nice, but there's an expectation of return? I'll do this for you. Because you're going to do this for me. I'll do this. You do that. And it's kind of, you know, I'll wash your hand. You wash mine. I'll wash your bag. You wash mine. And it's like this idea of I'm doing something because I, I, I expect you're going to do that in return. Okay. And, the, and I don't want to get into philosophy and all this kind of stuff. But I, I, I'm so reminded that it bothers me that I ran as a writer, primarily in the early, in the mid-1900s, actually wrote about this idea, and they said, okay, 
the way things are are the way things ought to be. It's like the way it is is the way it ought to be. Can I ask this question? I'm going to do it anyway, so just say yes. Yes. <laughs> are humans selfish? Yes. Anybody question that? No. Okay. Ayn Rand said, because humans are naturally selfish, why is that an evil? Why is that bad? It's actually a virtue. It's a virtue. Selfishness is a virtue, and it should be demanded of those who are live around you. Do not give love unconditionally. That is immoral, she said. It's wrong to give unconditional love. They must earn it. And if they don't earn it, don't give it. Sounds very bitter. And yet, it has again resurfaced in the last 10 years on secular college campuses all across this country. It was really popular then and has resurfaced back out there today because it's like, no, it's all about me. And if you don't meet my needs, I won't meet yours. And that husband of yours who doesn't meet your needs, don't love him back because he needs to earn it. And that's how you train him. Or that wife who doesn't meet your needs, then don't love her. She's got to earn it. And God declares from the housetops, no. I want to show you what love really is. Love is unconditional, which will, even though it may be rejected, will ultimately draw men to me. Our, our choices should be based on this unconditional kind of love. The example of Jesus is one who loved unconditionally. Jesus showed others through uh, love through his compassion for them. Jesus fed the hungry. Someone read that for me. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint. Love is compassion. Now think about this. In your marriage, are you compassionate towards your spouse? You're going to hear me say this often because I think this is essential. We have such a short window of this life, and it's over. What we do during this short period of time, and it is short compared to eternity, it's short. The goal of our lives, if we're truly loving and compassionate toward our spouses, toward our children, to others, is to do everything we can to help them prepare for eternity. Are you preparing your spouse for eternity? Are you preparing them to meet God through the way you live your life? Are you planning your daily life activities around creating the atmosphere where they can grow in Christ or become detracted from Christ? Are they becoming frustrated or are they becoming angry because of our selfishness or are we creating this atmosphere in our life uh, surrounding us so that they can grow in Christ, can, can love the Lord and love others? Are we creating this frustrating experience or a positive experience for them? 
Jesus became a shepherd of people and taught them. He saw their need. Mark 6, 34 says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now, we all understand human beings are like sheep, right? We understand that. We don't naturally know what to do. We need to be taught. Now, do we think about that in our roles? I, I have to be honest with you. Probably the thing that frustrates me the most, and this is where I am wrong, okay? I'm wrong in this type of thinking. When I think this way, I've got it wrong. I expect humans to know what to do. <laughs> I really do. And I get frustrated when they don't. I don't know about you, but do you ever get frustrated when someone doesn't use a turn signal at a roundabout? Yeah. Or someplace? Hello? <laughs> Communicate. Which way are you going? Okay. I think people should know what to do. <laughs> My wife expects me to do certain things at our house that I'm still trying to figure out after 36 years of marriage, almost 37, to get it down. <laughs> There's certain expectations, and I'm still working on those things. I was like, don't do that. <laughs> and she expects me to know that, but, and I expect me to know that. And you know, we continually work on this. We expect people to know what to do. And but Jesus, his whole life was about, you know what? They don't know what to do. I got compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them anything because they didn't understand. And that's what our role is. Ladies, we need to be taught by you. Compassionately, lovingly. Guys, when they teach us, we need to respond appropriately. But just like the crowd, then we can go, you know what? I don't agree with Jesus and I walk away. We can do the same thing with our wives. Not smart. But we can do that. And ladies, when your husband is trying to communicate something, don't go, blah, 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 blah. you're always about telling me how to do stuff. I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. I've heard that. You've heard that. I know. I have to. I don't want to fix it. I just want you to listen to me. No, we want to fix it. Because we don't want to hear it again. <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> no, that doesn't mean you can't hear it again. You know, you know what we're saying here? We're just trying to be real. Alright? We're trying to be real. And that's what this, the Christian life is all about. Learning how to, if I love my wife, I will learn how to listen. And learn how to listen to what she's trying to teach me. Just like I do with Jesus. He had compassion by healing them. Matthew 14, 14. Someone read that for me. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion and healed their sick. They came to Jesus with a need. Okay? He didn't say, um, okay, no, we need a Bible study first. He just healed them. And then they stuck around for his teachings. I think sometimes we, as a church, get turned around. 
And we need to understand that people are attracted to when their needs are met. We need to focus on meeting human needs. And when they do, many of them will listen, others won't. They'll just take advantage of you. And sometimes Christians go, you know what? Because of those people who just take advantage of me, I'm going to stop giving. No. You keep giving regardless because that's what Jesus did. Even though he knew, he knew they were going to walk away from him, right? He knew that. And yet, he kept on giving. See, it's a, it's a matter of unconditional love for people. Jesus showed love by respecting and valuing those who were culturally devalued. He valued women. Do we? Do we value women? Someone read for me Luke 7, 11 to 15. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Maine, and his disciples and a great crowd were with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Did he do this for this kid? No. no. I mean, he could, he could raise anyone from the dead. But he was focused on this widow. Why? Why was this so important? Because in her culture in that day, she was in a bad position. She was in a bad position. Why? She had no, yeah, she had no income, no life, no way to be taken care of. Because women were devalued to the place where they couldn't necessarily provide for themselves in every situation. Most of them could not. They needed their son to work in order to provide for the needs. And Jesus had compassion on her. He said, you know what? I, I, I'm seeing her need. I'll raise her son. Now, imagine if, if, it's, imagine if the son... I, I, I've always wondered this. You know? Where was that son prior to Jesus raising him? In hell? Or in heaven? Imagine what he went through. What a testimony he might have. But think about this now. This, this mother has her son back. And he provided this illustration. He says, do not weep. Uh, ladies, women, God sees you and your need. He sees your need. He sees who you are as a woman. And he recognizes the uniqueness of who he created you to be and says, I understand you, even though your husband may not at times. I understand you. And I love you. And I want your needs to be met. Now, Luke 13, 10 through 17, says, Now he, when he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are free from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. 
But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered, You hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and leave it to water to water it? And I thought this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day. And he said these things, and all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He saw this woman's need. Yeah, it was the Sabbath. He knew the religious people of the day recognized that as work to, to heal. But he, he she's been bound for 18 years by Satan. He declared her disability was by Satan. And he says, you untie your ox or your donkey. And lead it to water. Let me tell you something. If you drink from the well that I provide, you will never thirst again. And he freed her of her disability. Imagine this woman bound 18 years free. But I want you to understand something. He freed her physically, but she still had to choose him spiritually. And that's what God calls all of us to do. You can pray, and your needs can be met, and you can go on with life. But do we recognize where our healing comes from? Where this comes from in our life? The blessings of, of life. Is it just some happenstance? We just get better? we really get healed from the Lord. Jesus showed love by respecting and valuing those who were culturally devalued such as children. Mark 10, 13 to 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them, but when, he saw, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. Child, life, faith. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. You know how many, how many churches frustrate me around the country and around the world who focus on the adults and their ministry and meeting their needs? And, you know, because you know, children should be seen and not heard. Let me tell you something. I so thank God for our children's ministry in this church. And churches like it all around the world who focus on our kids. Man, because how many of you in here accepted Christ as your Savior before the age of 18? Many of you did. Most of you did. I accepted Christ when I was nine. When one time. In 18 years in the church that I was in, the Beachwood United Methodist Church, Joe Cuppage, faithful United Methodist Evangelist, came to our church, shared the gospel, and only one time in 18 years, a gospel invitation was given, and I walked forward and I accepted Christ. Whew. Praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord. My life has never been the same since. God loves children. Praise the Lord. The United States Supreme Court upheld Texas law. And it's a state's rights issue. And this is a constant fight. Life is precious. Amen? The unborn, and so are you. God loves you. He loves you. You may not sense it. You may not feel it all the time. God loves you. He valued the poor. Luke 4, 18 and 19. Someone read that for me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he's not just talking about here the, the poor in finances. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive God. Humility is a hard thing for humans. We like pride. We like to feel good about ourselves. We like to feel like we've got things under control. But you know what? We don't. And when you're poor in spirit, you recognize the fact I need something greater than myself. And that includes God. Do you need God today? There are some who no, I don't need God. I don't need God to be moral. I don't need God to live my life. And you know what? In, from their perspective, they're right. From their perspective, I don't need God. But they do. Our pride, our, our ideas that we can handle this on our own, we've got this, only goes so far. But when we come to the bottom of ourselves and we have this poor in spirit attitude that God cares about the poor, those who recognize, you know what, I can't survive. There are many who have the wealth of this world who end up saying, I don't need God because I've got everything I want. But every single one of us are going to come to that place where, you know what, that stuff isn't going to matter anymore. All it takes is one diagnosis, and we're not going to care about how much money we got. All we're going to care about at that point is, am I going to get better, and how do I do that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. He valued sinners. Why did he care so much about sinners and became frustrated with religious people? Why did he do that? Anybody? How did he get so... Why do you hang out with sinners? Why do you care so much about sinners? They're honest. <laughs> they were honest. They know they're bad. <laughs> they know they're bad. Why do Jesus care about? Yes, Sandy. It was the whole reason he came. <laughs> it was the reason he came. Yeah. Because they were self-deceived. When a person self-deceives, you can't tell them anything. Yeah. They, they're, they're, they're comfortable where they are. But when the Holy Spirit of God and through the words of Christ comes into a person's life, 
He values it. Jesus answered it. And on your notes, changed it from 31, not to 31 to 31, you know, uh, 31 to 32. Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. For those who think I'm okay, they don't need God. It's those of us who are sinners who desperately beat upon our chest and say, oh God, what a sinner am I. Right? Jesus showed love by telling people the truth. Are we afraid of confronting people today about sin? Now think about this. Now, sometimes people love to point out other people's sin. Why do you, for those of you who've been gifted as a parent with a child, how many of you with a child have ever had to discipline them in some way? Did you do that because you just enjoyed disciplining them? Did you get a kick out of disciplining your kids? If you say yes, we got some counseling for you, right? Why did you do that? You want them to learn to do things right? Because we love them. Because you love them. You don't want them to follow their path of the path of destruction. You're trying to help guide them so that they don't end up in a mess with their life. Okay? Jesus showed love by telling people the truth. Galatians 6, 1 and 3 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one of those burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Jesus, through Paul, told us the truth. Hey, if you're caught in a transgression... You who are spiritual, I hope that's us in this room. My prayer is that we're the spiritual. However, if you're ever the sinner, you better understand or know that if we really love you, we're going to be lovingly in your space. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. Great point, David. And that's where we're going with this. Okay, you who are spiritual, if you're in this room, we're going to get in each other's face. But the point is, isn't to make you feel like a scumbag. No. <laughs> you filthy person. Your husband will sanitize. Your wife will sanitize. Your kids will sanitize. We get that. The issue, though, isn't just pointing out their sin. Shame. Shame. No. Restoration. Because remember, again, they're going to meet Jesus one day. And if we live our lives and push them more away from Christ, Christ will hold us accountable for that. He will hold us accountable on that day of judgment. Because we, what we do now matters. We should be restoring each other. 
When I've sinned, Cheryl's role has always been restoration. Restore. Bring him back. That is my prayer that I am the same. It's not just pointing out, sure, what are you thinking? No. It's bringing each other back to the Lord. Let God, let God honor you and not men. Matthew 6, 2 through 4 says, Thus, when you give to the needy, he's telling them the truth, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. If you want people to notice you, you've got your reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That doesn't mean you can't get a tax-deductible receipt. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. What he's saying is, is, is that don't flaunt it before everybody. Just do it. Just do it. If you want to do something good, just do it. It doesn't even have to be official. Just do it. So that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. This doesn't mean you can't do anything publicly. Okay? Don't take this to an extreme. Don't create a rule about this. Because obviously, Paul asked the churches to collect money so that he could bring it to Jerusalem. And they knew how to do it. He was praising them for it. It was not like, you know, he's contradicting himself here. There's nothing wrong with people knowing what you're doing. But the, the idea is, what's your heart? That's the issue. What's your heart? If you're doing it for people to be noticing you, you've got your reward. The idea is... Just do the right thing, and God will notice it. Have childlike faith to go to heaven. Mark 10, 15, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. He told us the truth. Have childlike faith. You don't have to complicate it. Don't complicate the gospel. Amen? He told Peter the truth even though it hurt, it hurt him. How did this impact Peter? See, Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster goes twice, you will deny me three times. How did this affect Peter? It crushed him. When did it crush him? After he did it. He looks up the, the cock crows, the rooster crows, and he looks up, and just by happenstance, there's Jesus looking right at him. And he says he ran out and wept. You ever, you ever, I know I have, never wept because of your sin. The Holy Spirit is on you, and it's like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? And yet, as David pointed out, what did Jesus do? Did he later? Hey, Peter, what were you thinking? You followed me for three and a half years and you still rejected me? Are you kidding me? Is that what a disciple does? I don't think so. No. He's on shore. He calls Peter over. And he still tells him the truth. David, did you? Well, I love that verse at the end of Mark. Go tell the disciples. And, and Peter. Isn't that good? Yeah. You know, Jesus is always trying to restore us. 
Um, do you want to stay a little bit longer, or do you want to pick it up? I can get this done in five minutes. Just do it. If we want to bear spiritual fruit, we must die to ourselves. John 12, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, Jesus is teaching us now. He loves us to teach us. It remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. So in other words, the bottom line is this. If you really want to live the Christian life, die to yourself. Die to yourself. The more you promote yourself, the less you're going to bear fruit. Sorry, I skipped four. Jesus was willing to save the thief on the cross. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. What does this teach us about salvation? You don't have to be baptized. <laughs> it does teach us that, we, at least in this case, we don't have to be baptized. Pardon? It's available to the living. It's about your heart. He didn't go through some long prayer where you have to say certain things and say, practice your He just said, Lord, remember me. Yeah, the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. He understood the thief's heart. Yeah. In this life, it's never too late. Excellent. In this life, it's never too late. Dr. Falwell, our led his father to the Lord on his deathbed. It's never too late. How can we be a role model of agape love? First John 2, 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We walk like Jesus did. Understand the love of God for us. First John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Let me encourage you something to do this week. I want you to practice meditation. Okay? Not Eastern meditation where you empty the mind. Christian meditation where you fill the mind. Would you take some time this week just to focus on the love of God for you? Think about how much God loves you. And when you do, you will be overwhelmed. And you will love others. The problem with our life today we're too busy. We've got too much noise. Quiet yourself for a little bit and meditate on the love of God for you. Love impartially. What does it mean that what does that mean and how can we act impartially towards others? Acts 10 34 says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. He recognized, you know what? Gentiles can be saved too. Not just the Jews, the Jew first, but also to the Greek, the Gentile, us. No partiality. Am I impartial? Do I think they can't get saved? They can't be saved. They've done too much. I've done too much. God's impartial. Think about that from the love of God. Love others with no strings attached. Matthew 25, 40 says, And the king will answer that truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. When you love others unconditionally, when you have no strings attached, you don't, it's not like, hey, I'm going to show you love because you show me love. I'll show you love because you're going to, you're going to respond and be reciprocal with me. No, 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 no. 
He says, I'm giving He says, when you did it unto the least of these, they can't do anything for you. You've done it unto me. And I've recognized that. No strings attached. We love even our enemies. Matthew 5, 43 to 48, and you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say you love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't, do, you, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Man, love unconditionally, even those who are your enemy. We love others when we show them mercy. The context of the parable is the Good Samaritan. He asked the question. Here's these three individuals who respond to this, some, this uh, person who's been robbed along the road. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers, he said? The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go into life. When you see a need, you meet it. You meet it. So the, the bottom line of today's lesson is this. Are you going to be a role model of love or of self? That's our call today. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, you're not through with us yet. Teach us. Teach us through life, through your word. Teach me through your brothers and sisters in Christ what it means to love. May they and I be role models to each other and to the world around us of your great love. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love you all. Have a great week.